I could hear the collective sigh when we when you heard the in Ed's prayer uh, that our brother is not with us today, um, and uh, you do need to continue as the body of Christ to lift up Brother Reed. He's still struggling with uh, chronic fatigue, and uh, we could tell those of us that were there um, the other night at the conference uh, that as he was preaching. And in fact, I told him I thought it was the best sermon he'd ever preached. That you can see the energy level draining down. So please continue to pray for our brother. And um, I want to ask if the Damasellos could take this space in the front pew, because in a minute I'm going to preach to y'all. And I can't see you back there because I'm too old. <laughs> We're going to read this morning from a couple of passages, and I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. I'm reading from Numbers chapter 3. Some of you may have just recently read that passage as you've started again to read through the Bible in the year. And we'll begin in chapter 3, verse 5. Thank you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. And they shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And again down in verse 14. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, List the sons of Levi by fathers' houses and by clans. Every male from a month old and upward you shall list. And so Moses listed them according to the word of the Lord, as he commanded. And these were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon, and Kohath, and Meriah. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon and their clans, Libna. And Shimai. Now, if you would please turn in your Bibles to Acts in the New Testament, and we'll be reading chapter 6, the first few verses. Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full numbers of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer 
and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I'd like to pray as we begin again. Thank you. Father God, we ask that as we have this great and wonderful opportunity to set six people aside in the assembly, Lord, that you would bless the congregation through them and strengthen them for this task. Lord, would you be with us as we worship from your word, as we proclaim Christ, and as we celebrate your blessing among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've read from the English Standard Version. I'm going to be preaching from the New American Standard Version for a couple of reasons that will become plain as we get going into our text this morning. And uh, I just want to start out by saying that as, as elders, we are beside ourselves with joy about what we're about to do here. Uh, you know, uh, over the years, uh, for reasons of job changes or, and or whatever, our, our deacon population has, well, should we say dwindled, Mike, down to a couple of people. Scott and Teresa have been doing double duty, uh, doing uh, deacon and elder work, at least Scott has been. And going forward, uh, our goal is to free up Scott so that he might concentrate on elder work, but he will still be the liaison to the deacon board. And Mike and Diana Holbein have been faithfully serving for a long time now as deacons. But we're beside ourselves to tell you that this morning, Bob and Hilda Collier, uh, they must be out of there. No, I, they have agreed to serve in this capacity as servant in our midst. Tony and Andrea Damasello have agreed to the same thing. John Lee and Anna Smith. Uh, the Smiths aren't here today, which is why we probably have some room in the pews. Uh, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm awfully happy that they're down in Orlando, where it's really tough this time of year. So we need to pray for them. As elders, uh, we would continually be hampered or hindered in the work that we are called to do without deacons coming alongside of us. Uh, uh, if, if we're having to cover all the bases, we would have the same problem that we read about just moments ago out of the book of Acts, where we would be distracted from the things that we're supposed to do. And so we are just, again, we're just beside ourselves with joy about this, this opportunity. And as we'll see through Scripture, this has been a pattern that's gone on throughout the history of the church. Um, and it's, a, it's something that we wish to follow. So right off the bat, I, I always like to start out by saying what 
deacons are not and and get some things clarified uh, that uh, get some false notions out of the idea of uh, officers of the church. Uh, you won't see any uh, brocade or, or, or stripes on their shoulders. Um, that's just something that's uh, not the case. Uh, we're not talking about sort of a corporate model of management and worker bees. Um, that's not the case at all in this idea of being deacons, or as the Greek word is, diakonos, or servants uh, for the church. Um, you will find no place in Scripture where the primary qualifications for serving in either the office of elder or deacon is the gift that they have. Um, I know some churches would, would change that perspective and they would see somebody that, oh, this particular person, uh, he's a really gifted preacher, so let's make him an elder. Um, it is true that the elders are apt to teach. They have to be able to handle the Word of God. But that is not what sets them aside primarily. Primarily what we're looking at in either office is character. The things that make these people who they are. Character. And I've, seen, I've been involved with other churches where when they, they look at character for an elder, they say that's primarily important. And we, but deacons, you know, we'll just get somebody that's really good at plumbing. And we'll make him a deacon. And that's not the case. That's not a biblical emphasis here. The idea here is that these people are gifted and graced for the task of serving. And uh, I believe that you've all recognized that as we set these people aside this morning and came from a several months of processing and teaching and communication and talking as we spoke with every one of these individuals about these tasks. Again, no notion of uh, these officers carrying a star uh, on their shirt or a gun on their hip. Uh, the enforcers, so to speak. You know, you have the elders who set the, the direction and then you have the deacons who go out and do the dirty work. That's not the case. That's not the case. They are not to lord it over the flock, nor are elders to lord it over the flock. We are not to act as parents, where the church is all children and, and we set them straight. That's not the case at all. We are servants. In fact, the same diaconist term is applied to both elder and deacon. We're all servants. We serve the body of Christ Again, the role is more supported by character than it is by gift. So, the other day at the pastor's conference that Ed was mentioning, Scott was mentioning, we were all blessed to have uh, participating in that. Um, I think it was Ron Domina that said, uh, would all the ministers in the congregation here please raise their hand? And, uh, of course, you know, you have people that are, I could ask the same question. Would, would all the ministers please raise your hand? Ah, some of you get it. We are all ministers. We're all ministers. So we prayed um, as 
we began to lay out all of the responsibilities that we have before us as elders. We prayed and prayed earnestly that God would raise up more deacons. And we believe he has. And we're here to celebrate that today with you all. And, you know, the best way to tell if someone could possibly be set apart as a deacon is to find somebody in the act of serving. You find someone that's already serving, and then you just designate them and set them apart as servants. We wouldn't have, you wouldn't have any of the people in the front pews here this morning if we hadn't seen them already engaged. You can't take someone from the congregation that's not in a pattern of service and then set them apart and say, okay, now you start serving. It's just not going to happen. These people are recognized for the fact that they're already engaged in the work of the ministry. So we had this text in Acts this morning where the apostles instructed the people to pick out from among themselves seven of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And the the concept was not new. And the reason we went back and read from Numbers chapter 3, and we could have easily read Numbers chapter 4, where the specific duties of the specific clans were set aside as every time the, the, the cloud would move from one place to another, the tabernacle had to be carefully packed up and carefully relocated to wherever the cloud took them. And so the way the ministry was divided up with these Levites is, is that you had people dedicated to the priesthood and people dedicated to moving the tabernacle. And so within the Levites, uh, based upon family units, you had the Kohathites. Uh, the Kohathites were especially called out to be responsible for the transportation of the sacred objects. And as the nation would march through the wilderness there would be a specific place in the line for these various clans. The Gershonites were responsible for taking down and transporting the curtains of the tabernacle. They had certain characteristic ways where they were to treat the materials of the tabernacle. All of that, as Brian was was so uh, excellent this morning, pointing the kids away from Joseph towards Jesus. All of this handling of the tabernacle was looking forward to Jesus. All of it was. The Merorites were especially to carry the, to take down and carry the poles and the crossbars that were associated with the tabernacle. But the one thing that we want to say is that was pointing to something in the New Covenant which is spiritual in nature. And I'm sure you all know this, but the role of deacon is a spiritual task in the assembly. It's a spiritual task. It's not because uh, Tony happens to be pretty good with tools that he's being set aside to be a deacon. It's because he has a character that is enmolded by God. It's not, oh, we have a guy who can who can handle things, or a guy who's been in finance all his whole life, so let's make him a deacon and put him in charge of church finances. It's because the character represents the things that are part of the ministry of Christ. So this is a spiritual calling. 
And these men that were set aside in the book of Acts, uh, you know, the, the requirements that, that the apostles instructed all of the disciples, and, and you saw that all of the disciples were engaged in this selection, right? Just as when we put out word that we feel that we need deacons, you nominated these people. And then we went through as elders and talked with everyone that was nominated. Some decided not to stand. Some decided to stand. And they were nominated because of who they were in Christ and how they live out their Christian life. While they're not necessarily apt to teach, if you look in the Bible in Acts chapter 7, who, who delivers the, what I would call the first New Covenant sermon in the history of the church? His name was Stephen. You find his name in Acts chapter 6. He delivered a wonderful sermon which had great reward. You remember the reward that he got for preaching. Yeah, he was stoned to death. Sorry, guys. But he was the first to go stand with Jesus. Well, I guess maybe the thief on the cross was the first. But he was close. Philip, if you continue on in the book of Acts, Philip's uh, the evangelist, so-called. Acts chapter 8. Now, if these men weren't selected because of their gifts to preach, what are they doing preaching? Well, these are born-again believers. These are men who love God, men who have been set aside for Jesus. And they want to tell the truth about Jesus. And they have the ability and the desire to go out and minister the gospel. And the same is true with our deacons today. And so, you know, one could say, well, it seems to me that if you look in your Bibles at 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, that many of the statements that you find in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that are specific to elders would also apply to deacons. And in fact, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 3. And in verse 8, where it begins the discussion specifically about deacons, it says, deacons likewise. And so what is that doing? It's applying a linkage between all that was said in the first seven verses about elders and saying the same things apply to deacons with the exception of ability to preach or teach the Word of God. Is it the same office? They're both called servants. Uh, Paul refers to himself many, many times as a deacon, a servant. In fact, he takes up a servant's task when he raises money uh, from around the outside churches and does what? Takes it back to the struggling church in Jerusalem. You say, well, that sounds like a deacon task. Well, it was a deacon task. Paul says, I am a deacon. But there is a text. We don't have to turn there because it's a very short text. But if you uh, are studying the book of Philippians, the very first verse of the first chapter of Philippians, Paul is writing to that church and he specifically calls out elders and deacons. So there is a distinction and there is a separation between these two offices. But fundamentally, again, we're looking at the character of these 
these people who are being set aside uh, for this office. So verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let these also be first tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. And verse 11, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You see, even in verse 12, many of the specific qualifications are repeated from the first eight, seven verses of, of this chapter. And so the linkage and the overlap is incredible. And so there may be times here in this assembly where we ask John Lee to stand up and preach. And somebody shouldn't say, wow, you know, that's totally out of, out of line. A deacon shouldn't be preaching. Well, that, that's just not biblical. Deacons may be asked to preach. They're certainly asked to evangelize. They're certainly asked to help spread the gospel. And in essence, they're handling the Word of God. Let's look at some of the specific, and not, not all of the characteristics that we find in this passage, but just a few. Um, you see that just as elders must be above reproach, so also must be the deacons above reproach. And this is so important. If they're engaged in people's lives, our deacons will be engaged in people's lives both inside and outside of the church, and you'll see that in a couple of minutes here. But they have to have not only wisdom, but they have to be sincere. No hypocrisy. They can't say one thing and do another. Because part of being a deacon or any officer in the church is they're being set aside. And as they're set aside, they're in essence saying, follow me. Live as I live. Walk as I walk. And now, obviously, if we have deacons that are a deacon in name only, they can't say, follow me. And I know that's frightening to y'all. I know you're sitting there saying, what did I sign up for? Aren't you? And that's because God's given you some grace called humility. But you are examples for the flock, just as elders are. Just as elders are. Now, sober-minded is a great is a great word. I've been in some churches where the elders and deacons are very sober, and what they really mean is somber, sour Sammies, um, that you know you feel about as warm and fuzzy with these folks as a pine cone. You know, ever cuddle up to a pine cone? Uh, it's not great. And that's not what's being said here in this idea of being sober-minded. It's essentially meaning being in touch with spiritual reality. And again, this is a deacon. Being in touch with spiritual reality. Aware of and sensitive to the reality of the Christian life. And striving, just like the rest of us, 
to live in a way that honors Jesus and lifts up Jesus before all men and inside the church. And that the next word, hospitable, and, and, and people could have a great time with this one. Hospitable. What does that mean? Well, it includes but is not limited to making people feel welcome. Making people feel that you are being cared for. And again, this is a grace that we need to pray for all of us as leaders that we would grow in this. But when we talk to people, and you know, when you're old, it's really hard because, you know, when I introduce myself for the third time to you and you're really annoyed because I've told this guy my name three times and he can't remember, I, I'm trying. But sometimes it's hard to remember everybody's name. But we're trying to get to know you so that we can love you. And that's what we're talking about here in this idea of hospitality. It's essentially love for people. And again, we're going to talk about that. And this can be demonstrated in many ways. One way it could be demonstrated is by having people into your homes. You know, when you open your home to someone, you're, you're essentially opening yourself to them. You're saying, see me where I live. See me in the midst of my children. See me, you know, meet my dog, uh, whatever. You get to know someone. Hospitality. It must be a characteristic that we're looking for in these people. Look at this, gentle and not quarrelsome. I've been in churches where deacons were sort of uh, do it my way or the highway. You know, they weren't flexible. It, they, you know, it, it was like, oh, this is the way we're going to do things. You can either get on board or there's the door. And, and we don't want that here, right? We don't want that here. Deacons will lead by example. But they need to be sensitive and listening to people. And not quarrelsome is another characteristic that essentially goes back to those Christian characteristics. If you want to know, one of the things we're looking for in in deacons and elders is all the Christian characteristics that you find in Matthew's Gospel, for example, chapter 5. Blessed are they that are poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, if these folks had no interest in the Word of God, they just want to focus on the plumbing or focus on the finances, then they wouldn't be set apart as deacons. Not in this church. And not in the New Testament church. They have to have a love for God, a love for God's Word, and a love for God's people. You know, if, you, if you're ever serious about pursuing the ministry... C.H. Uh, Spurgeon wrote a book from his uh, preacher's college. It was called Lectures to My Students. I don't know if you've ever read from any of that, but chapter 3 deals with the call. How do you know if you're called to the ministry? And it says, well, you need to have a love for Christ, first and foremost. You need to have a love for His Word. And you need to have a love for His people. And if you're not, if you don't have those three, forget it. 
Because a love for Christ and a love for His Word and a love for His people are the energizing principles that enable you to, to hang in there as leaders. Because I guarantee you, a year from now, talk to the old wise ones here, a year from now you'll be tempted to say, you know what, uh, this isn't exactly what I had in mind. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Uh, manages his own household well. And this is one. Uh, this is not saying that uh, all of these beautiful children are perfect without sin and, all, and uh, they walk straight every day. Can, you know, you guys have had a few more miles on you than, than these ones over here, but uh, we're not saying that. We're saying that basically things are in order and that the home life of, of the deacon and the home life of the elder is not complete chaos. And there's a difference between the spiritual and the secular. And uh, where the spiritual life I behave a certain way, and then the secular, I just, everything goes, and it's chaos constantly, and I'm uh, living as if I wasn't even a Christian. And that's not the case here with these folks. There's a, there's a continuation of their life from Sunday morning through to Saturday night. Living for Jesus. That's managing their own households with all dignity. Doesn't imply again that they that they uh, have. You anybody seen Downton Abbey? Downton Abbey. Uh, uh, my wife and I were just introduced to that uh, a week or so ago. And uh, you know you have to really appreciate the British uh, lifestyle of the rich, the lords of the castle, if you will, and. And the, the, the main uh, butler who is, you know, you think of a butler as a servant, but um, to be a butler in the British high society is, is quite a deal where you, you have to rise up the ranks of a, a footman to a whatever, all the way up to senior butler, and then that guy is so stuffy, um, you, you, you just couldn't possibly measure up as an American. Well, we're not talking about that. When we talk about dignified, we're just talking again about a life that's consistent. You understand that you represent Christ and you live in a manner appropriate to that understanding. That's it. It's not complicated. And then verse 9. Verse 9 is very attractive. Uh, but simply holding to the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience or a clear conscience. Again, simply means, while they're not called to teach necessarily, although it doesn't prohibit them from teaching, they are supposed to understand well the faith and be able to articulate it to those that are inside and outside of the church. And they have to do so so that when they give out the faith, have you ever, perhaps in your Christian experience, uh, found yourself living in a manner that's rather unchristian? And you begin to doubt your faith because you're, you're... you're caught up or you're at work or you're in with some other people and you're beginning to... Your conscience is starting to nag you and say, 
you're not being consistent. Now you're asked to give out the gospel and, and suddenly your mouth is closed because you say, who am I? Who am I, the way I live, to be able to give out the gospel to anyone? A deacon is su- supposed to be holding to the mystery of the faith. They're able to express the gospel clearly to others that they encounter. And that their lives would be open for others to read as they live out the gospel via their feet in the way that they live. Clear conscience resulting from no hypocrisy in their lives. Well, just a few more qualifications. Verse 10. And let these also first be tested. Let them then serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. And again, here's this beyond reproach thing. When you, as a congregation, submitted these names, you did so because you felt that these folks were examples. Examples for you to follow. And you saw them practicing the ministry already. Just as we did as elders. If we... If you had put forth a name of someone that we had never seen exercising their faith or living out their faith, or if you will, in the act of deaconing, we probably wouldn't have gone forward with those characters. So they've already been tested. They're not new converts. They've been around for a while. Although many of you may say, boy, they're pretty young, especially when we look at Anna Smith. I know some people may have said, well, first of all, she's a woman. In my experience, there aren't any women that are deacons. We'll get to that in the next verse. Second of all, she's pretty young. And I'm glad she's not here so I can talk about her. She stood up here last Sunday morning and said, some people have said, isn't it dangerous to consider going to Sudan? What did she say? God doesn't tell us to go into all the world and be safe. Now part of that's a 24-year-old Christian that's on, that what some of us would have said, on fire for the Lord, right? But I respect that in Anna. And she's an example for all of us to follow. When most Young people are thinking totally about themselves. Our young people growing up in this, in this society today, if they can survive narcissism, which is an attack of the devil, that the whole world revolves around one axis and that's me, it's an amazing thing. And here you have a 24-year-old that's saying, I would love to go serve in Sudan. I didn't see any of us lining up behind her and saying, we're going too. She's an example to the flock. So verse 11. So why is this verse so, as the British would say in Downton Abbey, there's a controversy here. The English Standard Version says, And let the wives also. But if you go back to the Greek, that's not there. It says women likewise. 
Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. So, there are, I mean, I've read in the last 24 hours, probably a good 10 pages from various commentators about this. And this is the beauty of being an associate. You can say, talk to the senior guy about this when he's back. Read. Uh, because we do practice and celebrate women deacons here in this church. And Andrea and Hilda are not being deacons just because they're the wives of a deacon. They've allowed their name to stand to serve, and women can serve in ways, in many ways, and in many situations, far more appropriately than men. And you will see that engaged in this church in the near future. So let women likewise. You know, there was, there's a text in Romans chapter 16, where again Paul is addressing uh, the church in a particular place, and he references Phoebe as a deacon or a servant. And, you know, for every page that talks about her being a deacon, there's, there's pages that talk about, well, she wasn't really a deacon, she was really just a servant, but it's the same word as deacon. Um, and again, I hope we're past the discussions there. But if we're not, come and see us, and we'll talk about it. But I do find it interesting that in this verse there is a particular uh, admonition that's given to the women that is not given to the men, and it's about gossiping. Now, women, hang on. It's just a fact that women use ten times more words than men every day. Uh, they speak in paragraph style, whereas men say, um, dinner, what? up, uh, go now. You know, that's about the extent of men's communication. Uh, maybe an ug or passing whatever, but, you know, it's, it's a fact. Women talk ten times more. And, you know, Proverbs says, with many words, transgression is unavoidable. And you just have to be careful. So this is an admonition that hasn't been spoken. But you also notice that there's no admonition here about them being gentle or not quarrelsome, or not ready to punch. It's just inappropriate to advise a woman uh, not to be quarrelsome or not to be uh, a hothead. Now that seems to be more characteristic reserve for us guys. Hotheads, right? But anyways, these character traits are, again, to be demonstrated by our deacons. So, uh, what should we expect uh, these brothers and sisters to do? First and foremost, and I could say first and foremost, maybe first, second, third, and fourth, foundational to serving as a deacon is love. We serve a God of love. And you can read 1 John chapter 4 that says, You cannot say that you do not love your brother, but you love God. That's a gross paraphrase. 
Because if you don't love the brother that you can see, you cannot love the God that you don't. So first and foremost, the foundational principle that must be in your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, Anna's heart, is love. Love for Christ. Love for His people. And if you don't have that, you shouldn't serve. Because you know what's going to happen? You're going to come and you're going to have great expectations of being helpful. And you're going to come alongside of a believer. And you're going to offer your help. And they're going to turn into a pine cone. And it's going to be hard to love them. And like I say, usually within the first six months, sometimes 12 months, you're about to say, not what I signed up for. Love of Christ, love of God's people is the foundation for you. It's a command. Now, is it a command for Jonathan? Is it a command for John? For Ralph? Yes. Totally. But where do we see it demonstrated? We have to see it demonstrated in the leadership of the church. We have to be known as a church that loves God and loves God's people. And without that, forget it. We'll fail. We'll fail. Guess what? The church won't grow if we don't love God's people. So this is a foundation. It's an energizing principle, if you will, for you to hang in. It's essential. It's the essence of what we do. We are the feet. We are the hands to show forth the love of Christ to His people. And even sometimes outside the church. Right? So this foundational love is manifested in a ministry of helps. A ministry of helps. And as needed, uh, they will come alongside and help the elders to administer care for the people of God here in the church and sometimes outside the church. They are to administer benevolence to the poor. They are to, you know, and if you don't think it requires wisdom to meet with somebody that has money, has a need for money, and to be able to meet the need that they really have and ensure that it's really money that they need. Right? Benevolence. Um, they need to watch out especially for our widows. And in this congregation, we have a bunch. And take care of the widows. And make sure their needs are being met. To watch over the elderly. And speaking as one, take care of me. Guys, <laughs> to make sure that they're not going neglected, it's so easy to forget folks that aren't making a lot of noise. You know the old proverb, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Sometimes you have to go to the silent wheel and ask them why they're so silent. Because the elders, the elderly, have a lot to offer to the body of Christ. And it's a shame when the elderly, those people that have a lot of miles under, under their Christian belts, are so quiet. 
speaking as one. We need to engage people and help these younger ones with some wisdom and some of our experience that we've learned oftentimes by doing the wrong thing. Supervise and implement the necessary maintenance the church physical property. You know, right now we're doing a lot of things towards moving out of this building and into a bigger facility so that we can grow. And there's a lot of activity and a lot of hours being spent on that. Most of you not even aware of it. And these folks are engaged already in that activity. Um, but it's all about the ministry. It's not about brick and mortar. Let's praise God. You know, we've seen churches, because in the providence of God, my wife and I have been engaged in several churches. We've, we, we just realized we just, you know, we just bought our 14th home. And in some cases, when, when people in a church decide that it's time to build the building, everything shuts down with the exception of the brick and mortar and making some kind of an edifice that shines out to the civilization all around you how great you are as a church. And I'm so thankful that this isn't the issue here. In fact, when any facility is being looked at, it's always looked at in light of what? Can we minister to the community via this building or some other building better, right? Can we evangelize the lost better as a result of this building? Can we even support our children and their need to get out to something other than concrete after the service? It's great. And they manage the finances of the church. And in some cases, they're called to come alongside you to help you, if you need it, to manage your own finances. And they will organize training and other things like that that's perfectly appropriate for the office of deacon. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This personal contact. Personal coming alongside of individuals in the assembly, whether they be sick or poor or needy. But the engagement is personal. The engagement is personal. It's not just about pipes and electrical wires or dollars and cents. It's personal. They're coming alongside of each of us to help us, especially in our time of need. You know, Jesus referred to the disciples as his friends. I hope that you see these deacons and Mike and Diana as friends, just as you see us as elders as friends, coming alongside to help and to encourage and to lift you up and to help you meet your needs. In some cases, You'll be thankful, and in some cases you'll say, well, wait a minute, wait, 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 time out, you've gone too far. You know, just give us a little room. Sometimes we might not be perfectly wise every moment. I know Mike has been, but the rest of us probably not so much. But coming alongside, as simple as something like moving, um, we, we, I understand we have the ECF moving company, right? And uh, you uh, arrange to have people help people move from one place to another. Um, that's just one silly little illustration of ways that the deacons will come alongside to help. 
but it's essentially administering the love of Christ to the flock is what they do. Now, again, sometimes they care for those outside the assembly. You know, there are times where on the door, and it's, it can be a little scary when you're here by yourself, which is why we put the bolt and things like that on the door. There are lots of times where Teresa's here by herself, and she gets this, and she looks out, and there's some six-foot-eight guy that's about four-foot wide, and he says, I need help, and it's scary. But you know, the deacons get involved in almost every one of those situations because they administer the benevolence to the poor. And I want to tell a little story here. I know it's time spent. But recently we had a situation with somebody that, that called, and I picked up the phone. I was here at the church. And they said, if I don't get money, um, my family and I are going to be evicted from our apartment, and we don't have any place to live. Well, my first thought was, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'll write you a check. But anyways, I, I turned it over to the deacons, and they very wisely, very wisely, talked and prayed about this a great deal. And then Mike actually met with this individual and had a very long conversation with him, gave him the gospel, met with him a couple of times, and ended up getting him a job. Praise God, right? I don't know if anybody even knew about that. And I'm sorry for blowing your cover. But it happened right here. Right here. And I was, you know, I know pride's not supposed to be the way we live, but I was so very proud of the deacons at that point. What a, you know, gave them a fishing pole. Got them a job. Wonderful. And again, what a, what a wonderful example we have outside the church of Anna Smith. Willing to go to all ends of the earth to serve people in Christ's name. Now, I want to say a minute, just a minute or two, and you have to forgive me, you know, this is one of these deals where you have 36 hours to prepare for a sermon, so it's a little longer than I'd like. But um, for the body here, and these deacons. We have a responsibility too. And so this is a charge to us all. First of all, allow yourselves to be known. Allow yourselves to be known. Some of us are so closed and so private that it's very hard for someone to come up and love you. Because you won't allow yourself to be known. You won't open up. You will only meet with people on a demilitarized zone, uh, you know, because you don't want to let them know too much about you. And, and, and let me just admonish you all, that's unbiblical. Allow yourselves to be known and to be loved and be lovable. I, I don't know if I found an exact new covenant command for that, this imperative mood of be lovable. But I think it implies the command that Jesus said, in John 13, 34, and 35, this commandment I give you, that you love one another. Care for them. Care for these deacons. Don't expect that they will be doing all the work of the church. Oh, I'm so glad we got six new deacons because I'm tired of volunteering. Well, guess what? When the phone rings, I admonish you, I admonish me, to not let the machine take the call. 
But when one of these brothers or sisters calls and said, you know what, uh, we need a cake for this reception. You know, could you, could you run, could you order the cake and we'll, we'll pay you for it, but could you run down and pick up the cake and bring it or, or whatever. And I'm so thankful because I think in the cake regard, uh, and or the meals for the sick regard, and or the ECF moving company regard, we're doing pretty well. I guess, right? But they are not supposed to do all the work. In many cases, they're managing the work, they're organizing the work, and they're calling upon the assembly to engage. Alongside of them, I mean, when it's ECF moving company, they'll be moving that coffee table and that mattress, which is the worst thing about moving, is moving a mattress, in case you haven't done it before. They'll be on the other end with you, but don't expect them to do all the work. Engage. Come alongside of them. And make their labors joyous. I think probably when the men uh, help somebody move, they actually have a good time doing it. And that's usually because... The ones organizing it set the pace temperamentally for the activity. Uh, listen to them. Listen to them. Uh, they will, in the service of being engaged in the leadership, they may be aware of things going on in the church. Let me restate. They will be aware of things going on in the church that you're not aware of. So when they come to you, maybe you don't have to give them the third degree or or, well, why this and why that? And boy, in my day, I did this. And I, you know, listen to them. If you have positive suggestions, can help them get organized or whatever. You know what a deacon loves is when they call somebody and they say, you know what, I'd love to do that. I'd love to help out with that. In fact, I'll do the following. Is that okay? Great. Wonderful. Terrific. Listen to them. There's a, there's a wonderful admonition. And I can't think of the Bible verse, but y'all can challenge me on this. But outdo one another in doing good. You know, if there's a place for competition in the church, it's in doing good. Outdo one another in doing good. And finally, learn from them. As I joked earlier, uh, the characteristics and qualifications for deacon are not unique. But they're characteristics that should be applied to all of us as Christians. All of us. All of us. And when we set these brothers and sisters apart for the work, we're saying, look at them, follow them, learn from them. Okay, a word of warning for the folks in the front row and Anna, who's not here. One of God's reasons for insisting that you manage your households well is that there will be, by necessity, a strain on your marriages. It will happen, and Pam, you need to... There will be a strain. I would love to tell you, you can be a deacon and there won't be any strain on your marriages. It's not true. There will be. And this role is a sacrificial role. You will find out, well, when do I get me time? When do I get time to just, you know, watch a football game or something, you know? Have a great personal celebration. Many, many times that, you know, sorry, uh, I, don't, I hope this isn't the first time you thought of this, but it ain't going to happen. Me time. Because what should happen is, is if you're engaged in the work of the ministry, 
and then you have time with your family, all of your efforts need to be focused on your family. So forget me time. Not going to happen. If you're, see, if your home is continuously in chaos, uh, you should not embark upon this journey as a servant, as a diaconess. You should not attempt to engage in this work because it is a sacrifice. Now, for you, Bob and Hilda, Tony, Andrea, you've already submitted yourselves for a good work, and you have also said that you will graciously deal with the extra strain. Because I think we talked about this in one of our sessions. There may be times when one of you needs to back off and say to the other one, you know, because you're engaged over here, I will pick up the slack in the family time. Okay? Just be sensitive to that. And Pam, I'll say the same thing to you because this is going to happen. And, you know, particularly for John, who everything John does is like 85 miles an hour. You know, you need to gently pull him back at times. Gent, gent, G-E-N. You know, don't just slap him upside the head and say, what are you doing? Although maybe you're the temperament that needs to be slapped upside the head. But be careful. Be careful. God doesn't intend for you all to sacrifice your families and, yeah. All right. Will you agree to keep a watchful eye? on each other, counsel one another as deacons. Okay. I'd like you all to come up here, the deacons. Please, come up. Thank you. Actually, I'm going to have Mike and I, Hod and Linda, come up first. I want the new folks on this side for just oh for my. a second, really quick. Can you guys come on up here? And I'm going to stand over here. I will be brief. I know we're after 12 o'clock and the cake is baking downstairs and we're all anxious to get there. How many of you have seen that commercial uh, where the guy teaching with the, sitting with the kids at the table and he says, which is better, fast or slow? Which is better, more or less, right? I mean, which is better, six deacons or 12? I'm going to tell you 12 is better. And there are other people in this congregation that have served faithfully in this role, Ken and Chris in the past, Larry and Carol in the past, others who are no longer with us. But uh, as Al said, this is not a light, light task. And I'm glad he touched on it, that the underlying principle is love, folks. And we know just briefly out of 1 Corinthians 13, it's a great wedding chapter, but often misapplied there. But if I do not have charity, I have nothing, Paul says. If I do not have charity, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind, and it does not envy, and it vaunts not itself and is not pulled up. Love does not behave itself unseemly or seek her own way, and is not easily provoked and does not think evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity or sin and, in fact, rejoices in the truth. And love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In the end, charity or love never fails. This is a love-motivated role, everyone. This is a love-motivated role, and that's why you're here. We've seen your love for the congregation. And as Al mentioned, a charge to each of us, the best thing that you can do for this group is to pray for them 
continually. The decisions that have to be made, the circumstances of life that we get involved with, that they're going to get involved with, are not easy at times. They are heartbreaking, and they need, above all, prayer and the love of Christ. I'm going to ask you guys to come over here and join them as well, since they're, we're going to meld the groups here for a little bit and all of that. And then I'm actually going to ask Hod to pray. Hod is one of those men that you are blessed to serve with uh, in this capacity as you're joining up, probably phasing out maybe over a course of time here as hopefully Teresa and I uh, step down as well. But we didn't want to leave you just flailing in the wind and figuring it out for yourself. So we have some anchors here to ease the transition. But I thought it was fitting to have Hod pray for us all as, uh, as you're commissioned into serving in this capacity, Hod. Heavenly Father, this is a task that you prepare people for. I ask that you would strengthen them when they're tried and discouraged. You would encourage them when multitasking takes on new meaning. I pray that you'll give the entire family strength and mercy and grace for and toward each other. Uh, When parents are selected, the children are drafted into this training program. I pray that you'll give each and every one of these deacons wisdom, discernment, Please help them maintain their humility. And please give them the ability to forgive us when we need their ministry to us. And they help us deal with our failings, weaknesses, and sometimes our spiritual immaturity. In Jesus' name, amen. For the sake of time, I'm going to suggest that we forego our last song and just get right to the doxology. And then let's go downstairs and, and celebrate what God has done among us here uh, with these new folks. Praise God. <laughs>